We're recording on Gadigal land and we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and pay our respects to their culture and elders. I'm Karina May. And I'm Claire Fletcher. And we love rom-coms. They're our favourite kind of love stories. We love reading and watching rom-coms so much we started writing our own. We're always chasing that rom-com feeling. You know the one. The warm and fuzzy one. (laughs) (laughs) And we might not be experts, but by God, we're enthusiastic. So not only are we back for our second season, we're back with a bang with a special guest. Come on down, Josh Hortonella. <laughs> Would you like to select a sound effect? We are in a new studio with sound effects and we're abusing them. Go you on. want the twinkly one? I wanted the twinkly, whimsical one. There was once a bookseller <laughs> from Demix. <laughs> so, Josh, you are a slashy. So you are known as not only that rom-com pod, a friend of the pod, you're a bookseller at our favourite Dimmick Sydney. You're a prolific bookstagrammer. And you're an aspiring or emerging rom-com writer yourself. So the perfect first guess, I think. Yeah, we knew that you would have a great grasp of the canon of material that we're talking about. And I think, yeah, your insights from actually being on the front line of who is buying rom-coms and what they're buying is going to be really interesting to hear about. So I like, welcome. Yeah, I like having the name... Friend of the pod. I'm going to put that on my resume from now on. (laughs) We use it a lot. (laughs) Everyone's a friend of the pod, whether they know it or not. Taylor Swift is, I hear. She's a friend of the pod. She is. And Emhen, your favorite. Yeah. So speaking of Emhen, we wanted to get started mainly talking about some trends or what's selling right now. I think you're on the front line of book selling and have been all summer, which we applaud you for. Uh, so Dolly Alderton is still going really, really strong with good material. And that was something I noticed people found as like an easy gift to give people over Christmas. So that was very easy to recommend. Um, anyone can really read that book. Uh, there's a lot of nonfiction selling at the moment. Atopic Habits has been selling well for years and is still in the top 10 after all this time. Mm, I'm not sure about that book. Yeah. <laughs> Have you read it? There was It was too factual for me. At the time I read it, I just needed the guy to tell me how to like sort my life out. And like on page two, there's like graphs and numbers and data. And I was like, that's not for me. That's not for I me. know it's a massive airport book as well. Isn't everyone trying to reinvent their life when they're at the airport? Yeah, exactly. And like romance goes hand in hand with beach reads. Uh, So are you seeing other titles selling any Australian authors? Well, it's also a key point in the year when romance and rom-coms being released, right? We've had lots of friends have books out in the last Mm, couple of weeks. mm. Uh, Love, Justin Mm -hmm. by Natalie Murray. That one's been uh, doing really, really well. Um, And that one, she was compared to like Emily Henry is just like Australia's answer to Emily Henry. And I can definitely uh, attest to that. And I've been recommending it to people in the store with that. And there are people who wouldn't necessarily read Australian rom-coms, but they've really connected with it and have now sort of jumped on the train of reading more local rom-coms. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, so that one we've spoken about on the pod, it's set in Newcastle and Dimmick Sydney did an amazing front window display for that. Definitely had M-Hen vibes. Mm -hmm. So good. And you're doing books in bars with her, Karina. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, I don't know when this pod will go. Actually, we would have just 
done our books in bars, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that will be so exciting to kind of chat with her. Um, But it's really nice to see um, some Australian, like, homegrown talent, like, get attention this summer as well. And how about, I know that you're a big fan of the book Talk Faves. Mm -hmm. Is there any book talk kind of top of the pile stuff that you can recommend or you're you're seeing being sold? Oh, Iron Flame, that one just completely, like, blew up and is still going really strong. Same with Fourth Wing. I'm not a romanticy guy at all, but I can definitely appreciate what, you know, those books have done for bookstores and booksellers. Have you read them? Have you dipped in? I didn't finish Fourth Wing, sadly. I just can't get into fantasy. Mm. There's uh, too much world building for me as a reader. So when I tried Fourth Wing and as soon as I saw that map at the beginning, it was just like Atomic Habits. I was like, I'm out. Uh, I'm out. I can't do it. (laughs) I was thinking about this for rom-com because it's a lot about world building, Mm. right? But we have those points of reference, Mm. which I'm sure we'll get onto in this conversation. So I don't have to invest much time into like learning what things are like I know the lay of the land of I know what a rom-com is that built-in world is already there like be it New York or something else um yeah I'm not one for learning brand new languages and and histories (laughs) as well it's it's like fascinating and I can appreciate what an author can do with that it's it's really cool but when I'm trying to read it I find I lose interest because I'm focusing too much on what does this mean what like what does this have to do with the over like arching plot of the story. So, um, but also the new Sarah J Mass just came out this week. Oh yeah. And that one is doing really, really well. There was actually a line out the door of the store on the day it was released. So that was pretty cool to see. I am kind of jealous of romanticy that I don't mm. really understand that world. So I, it's one of my 2024 things too. I have fourth wing. I got the audio book and then was intimidated by the length. Um, even on my 1.5 speed, I think that's going to take me a good 15 hours of walking or something, washing up. Um, but yeah, I definitely do want to try it. How about you, Claire? Uh, I'm resisting. I'm sure I would enjoy it. I worry actually that I would enjoy it too much and I feel like I already have too much to read. I think it's a rabbit hole I can't really afford to fall down at the moment. I mean, I think of how I read the Twilight books when they came out and even though I was like, this is not for me, this is ridiculous, I still had to read everyone and couldn't rest until I was done and I just don't need that (laughs) with another series right now. But by all accounts, people seem to get a lot of joy from them. So more power to you if that's your thing. But not us. <laughs> God, I we're prom- going to be unstoppable. No, I promise this. this is not going to happen every episode. <laughs> it's a fun first one back. One thing I've been curious about, Josh, and I thought you'd be a perfect person to um, give us some insights from the bookstore floor is, you know, whether it feels like we're in a moment where rom-com is on the rise. And would you say that's true? Do you feel like or what trends have you seen in how many books are coming through from publishers, whether you're seeing maybe authors from other genres try their hand at rom-coms and whether the demand is growing as well from readers. Is that something you're seeing? Yes, I can definitely see a demand for it. So I've been bookselling now since 2016, so that's about eight years. So I can't speak to any trends before that. But when I started, romance definitely wasn't as big of a genre as it is now. And I think it was around 2020, 2021 when, you know, we were all locked down. So we only really had TikTok and books and things at home to keep us occupied that, you know, BookTok really influenced what people were reading. And I don't know what the magic formula was, but I think romance books 
grew, well, romance's popularity grew out of that, whether it's, you know, about hype, it's about trends, it's about if the books are actually good depending on what's recommended. But ever since then, it's just grown and grown and grown. And the best example I can give of it is our romance section in the store that I work at was quite small at the time. And just the demand of the books that people were ordering in or they wanted to buy or the range just forced us to have to like expand the romance section. We actually had to like cut the crime section to make space for the oh, romance dear. books. Oh, <laughs> dear. We love to hear it. The other thing I guess that's changed in the physical store is you now have that wall of book talk books. And it's because we know like every day there were customers coming in that were asking for these books and it was just, you know, it was easier and it was also more fun to just like have a display that celebrated what people were reading now. And it was, it's a good way to see the trends of what sell Um, because you can look at numbers every day, but sometimes it's interesting to see what people are actually picking up, what shelves are coming empty, (laughs) what books are like, you know, you have to constantly keep topping up. So it's a good way to see what's on trend. And I have seen that you have recently designed a new shelf. Do you want to tell us about the new shelf in store? Uh, so it wasn't my idea, actually. I have to give credit to my colleague, uh, Sarah. They're not going to listen. Just take it. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it, it's a Taylor Swift, uh, the Eras Tour display, and it's Dimmick's Sydney version. Um, so it's right at the front of the store. It's, it was back to school last week, but then we got rid of that straight away and to put up, more importantly, Taylor Swift. The real education. The real education. Um, and it was funny because the whole day yesterday I was trying to get in there to take a a photo and TikTok for the store account and it was just impossible because it was crowds <gasps> standing amazing. in front of it every every second of um, So what um, can you give us? I mean, we will get on to our perfect pairing segment. We've got a bit of a treat for you later. <laughs> um, but can you give us like just a quick hot take of some of the books you've included? Uh, Dolly Alderton. Of um, course, yeah. Everything I Know About Love. There's a whole bunch of like Taylor Swift music books that people love even if they don't necessarily play an instrument because it's got um, it, like – Taylor Swift images and stuff on there. There's a little Taylor Swift golden book that mm-hmm. I genuinely didn't think would sell really well, but it just it disappeared overnight. It, I don't know where that book went, but people love it's like a little biography of her in like little golden book format. It's got that little gold Stardom uh, Young, yeah, spine, I say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a book, it's called Perfectish by Jessica Seaborn. Um, and we've like paired them with like the songs, so, like that's got like anti-hero underneath it. Oh, that's perfect yeah. because I think that one's marketed as a bit of an anti-rom-com. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's on there. How fun! So basically, you just play with books all day, mm-hmm. play with Taylor Swift merch. Yeah. So my whole day is pretty much, you know, I do work, but sometimes I'm like, what book, you know, fits this Taylor Swift song? Sometimes. And also, tell us about your hold section that you have in the back of store. All the books that you are going to buy your TBR, which I guess, do they physically leave the store? They do physically leave the store, but there's a lot of hoarding that goes on. And sometimes they get in trouble because there's only one copy left of a particular book. It has to go back out on the floor. It's got to go back. The Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, that's been on my, like a physical copy of that's been in my Holdersides ever since the movie came out. That one's been on there. There's a couple nonfiction now that I'm Ever since I read everything I know about love, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm on a big nonfiction train of books similar to that. So I've got mm. a lot of those um, on my holder sides that I probably have to return to the floor so customers can buy it. Boo-hoo. <laughs> You're probably ready for some Nora Ephron coming off everything I know mm-hmm. about love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I read Heartburn last year and that one was really good because that's kind of a blend between fiction and nonfiction. 
um, but I'm very interested in reading the rest of her like collection of. Yeah, of I think writings. her collected essays are really fun because. Yeah, Josh, you, you recommended those that essay book to me. Have you not read it? Did you recommend something you haven't read? No, the, that's the the most of their. Oh uh, yeah, Efron. there was the other one. I feel bad about my. Oh neck. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The the best of Nora Ephron. Yeah, that yeah, has yeah. the um when Hallie met Har- Hallie, <laughs> when Harry met Sally <gasps> scripts and that's going to be a good queer retelling when Hallie met Sally. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got excited for a second. I thought that was an actual thing happening. <laughs> well, that's actually cute. And speaking of, um, our trope for the day is a non-trope again, retellings. Retellings. Josh's version. This needs a sound effect. Come on. I love it. <laughs> Why do we do retellings? A lot of the a lot of the examples that we've got here in the list are contemporary stories that draw on very old stories. There's a lot of Shakespeare mm. like uh, influence in this list, and we'll get on to this. But I think we also wanted to have a discussion on retellings versus remakes because how much do you have to change the original story for it to be a retelling versus a remake? I think a remake is. They take every little bit, or at least maybe 95% of what the original work is to just do it again, whereas a retelling is sort of inspired by what that story is. So like She's the Man, for example, is it's not necessarily a remake of Twelfth Night. They've just sort of picked and chosen what worked for that story to tell the story that they wanted. Mm, I think that's definitely a retelling. I think remake would the title stay the same like I mean I know that we wanted to talk about one day but they haven't even changed the title of that so that's a remake right well I don't know that I would consider it a remake so we're talking about the new tv series yes, of so, one day sorry, that's Claire, coming out give on the Netflix. listeners context I'm bad at that one day of course is a beautiful novel by David Nichols that came out I want to say around 2000 but I could be wrong we'll get that right in the show notes uh and it was made into a film um i think i want to say 2005 ish um, yeah so early 2000s starring anne hathaway anne hathaway and jim sturgis uh feature film and so now they've given it a longer treatment as a tv series and i'm so i just think it's a new adaptation i think they've gone back to the novel rather than remaking mm. um because obviously they had to cut a lot out to fit in the film this is a really sweeping saga of a of a book that spans a long period of time and I think the longer um, series is going to bring it to life really beautifully I'm also getting the impression that David Nichols himself was much more heavily involved in this adaptation so Josh do you know if David Nichols was involved well, why David, would Josh know <laughs> well now that the two of us were, were best friends apparently no what? he I I got a proof of his newest book and what's his newest book called you do you know? hear you are here, yeah, yeah, you are here. And I posted about it just to say thank you um, to Hachette for sending it to me. And he replied straight away and was just, like, really sweet, saying, like, it's nice to meet on here. Thank you so much. It, was, it wasn't it was even, like, just a typical Instagram message. It was, like, a really, really, like, 
Almost if, like you're getting an email from a long lost friend kind of thing. <laughs> so you don't think he's just put a lot of effort into his can replies or do you? <laughs> well, well, after he's been on one Instagram day, yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah. I've followed him for a long time, <laughs> but I think a publicist or someone has been like, David, you need to up your social media game because he's been working a lot harder on <laughs> Instagram with the, with the series or coming out. Or maybe he's got like a ghost, like a ghost writer kind of thing going <laughs> on with his Instagram. And <laughs> I think a lot of people hold back from DMing their mm. favourite authors because they don't think they'll reply. Like firstly... I always reply, so just so everyone knows. Um, but it's actually quite an accessible way of having great, great chats. Another example is um, Paulina Simons, um, who we spoke about on the, the pod a couple of eps ago, I think. She will have a great conversation with you um, in DMs. And she's iconic, the bronze horseman. I, you just really don't expect it. Then, of course, are those authors, understandably so, that you know say quite clearly in their bio, don't reply to DMs, don't look at DMs. Um, so he's a, he's a goodie. He's a goodie. He's a goodie. So did he tell you anything about being on set? No, no, we haven't discussed that. I think I'll wait to, you know, when I go visit him in the UK. So. <laughs> I'm sure he has a little house in the Cotswolds. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. do a little, we'll do a writing session together or something. <laughs> he does seem very genuine. Like his books are so lovely. So, um, yeah, get us in there, Josh. We'll ride your coattails. To <laughs> so what appeals to me about retellings, and I think we've spoken about this briefly before, is like a lot of the work has been done. So mm. you get to cherry pick the best bits and then reshape it into a way that works for you. Do you think that a retelling has to keep like the main tropes? So, for example, one day, now we're saying it's not a retelling, but that's Friends to Lovers, right? Friends to Lovers. I think there's slow burn in yeah, there. Yeah, slow burn. We haven't done slow burn. We need to do slow burn. Oh, that'd be mm. good. I think it depends on what what they're taking, but I think they do need to take like the skeleton of maybe the structure of of it. But maybe they could change the tropes. Mm. And Claire, you've made a good point in our doc um, about you know if something's worked before, it will probably work again later. Like why reinvent the wheel? So. Well, I think from a from a viewer or a reader perspective, there is a comfort in knowing what you're going to get. I mean, even Bridget Jones, right, is based on Pride and Prejudice. And I think there's something really special about realising that as you're reading the story with all of the references within it to Pride and Prejudice and the BBC miniseries, which is coming out uh, as Bridget is telling that story. So, yeah, I think... And think about where these stories are coming from. They're being commissioned by studios and publishers who are operating in a pretty uncertain market. I mean, you only have to look at how the film or the cinema world has changed in like the last 20 years, that it's very rarely new standalone stories. They are looking for recognisable IP, intellectual property. So that's why Marvel and DC are such juggernauts in that world because they're characters that people know, they fit into this kind of branded world and... You know, from an investment point of view, I suppose it's it's tested, and they they feel like um, it's a safer bet. It is, but then what if you disappoint? Which we know, right? I mean, I'm curious as to how I feel about One Day. Given I really love that film, um, you know, you love the film. I do. Yeah. Do you? No. Just say it. This is what the mic. Is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the wrong it's one. This one. <laughs> I don't know. Use your words, yes. Claire. I No, there are definitely parts that I love. And I think it was just that the book meant so much to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So why would why do they have Anne Hathaway playing a British person? Just get a British person. I just really love Anne Hathaway. I think she's so underrated. At that time in my life, I did I had taken against Anne Hathaway. Yeah, you put her in the Kira Knightley basket. I know you. Branded. I don't, I don't think I was ever brush. against Kira Knightley. Has Anne Hathaway been redeemed now for you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think my ex boyfriend once said that Anne Hathaway was hot, so I had to hate her after that, and it was really hard to shake. But I think I've come back around. She's done some really kooky roles. Um, and I respect that. I just need to rewatch The Princess Diaries and then I'm reminded of how much I, I love her. Yeah, and actually, speaking of adaptions, Shameless Media have released a new podcast just on that and they did Boyce Waller's Universe. So that's an example of an adaption. I love that book and I would argue that the TV series is better than the book, which is a big call. You don't get that very often. That's incredible. I haven't watched it yet. Have you, Josh? I haven't, but I haven't read the book either, so I'm not too too well, connected. Some to it. people that struggle with the book mm. a little bit, just because you know Trent Dalton, he has so many fans, mm. obviously, um, a sensation, but he's got a very specific writing style that doesn't work for everybody. Um, so people I've heard from who didn't like the book love the series, which is so amazing. But the book also has this interesting mix of like quite gritty. Uh, scenes with some magical realism as well. Does that come across in the adaptation? It, it does. I would actually say that they really doubled down on the grit as well. So um, it's just it's perfect. Sorry, realise it's not a rom-com. Should we get into some text? Yeah, well, the only other thing I wanted to say was when Josh m- mentioned The Princess Diaries, I know or I get the impression that a big sort of touch point for you is sort of 2000s mm. uh, rom-coms and and teen movies. Well, I, I think we had spoken about the fact that you've done things a bit in reverse. Yeah. So you often get to the retelling yeah. and then revisit the original. Yeah. Um, and this might be the generation gap between yeah. us because I don't know if it's clear, but Josh is a little bit younger <laughs> than us. Yeah, so what's an example of that where you've come to the original through a retelling? Okay, so Sleepless in Seattle. Um, I wouldn't say it's a retelling of An Affair to Remember, but it's very, very inspired by that by that movie. And it wasn't until I finally decided to watch that An Affair to Remember that I realised how good that movie on its own actually is. So I think that's an example, and I can definitely see why they picked that and certain scenes and parts of that story to inspire Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, You've got Mail. I would say that's a retelling 50% and 50% remake of The Shop Around the Corner. I still, I have not seen that. Um, Have you seen The Shop Around the Corner? Yes, yeah, yeah. Where is that available? Oh, Claire will find it for the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) It's very old though, right? It might even be 1930s. No, that's probably too early. Um, Is it black and white? 1950s maybe, I want to say. Maybe. But that one is another one that's I revisited that after after so many years of thinking that these movies were were their like original mm. um without any sort of source for them. Mm. And how about newer examples? So the seven year slip I know you're a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Did you read that before or after watching The Lake House? No, I watch The Lake House. Um, That's one of my favourite movies. I watch it constantly again and again. And The Seven Year Slip, I actually genuinely don't know if it's a proper retelling. I haven't found anything that says this author was inspired by that that movie, but there's definitely elements to that story that remind me of what that movie was. And I think that's why I liked it, because I recognise all those familiar 
sort of tropes and aspects and something so comforting about it reminded me of my favourite movie. And the Lake House is insane. It's, yeah. It's I rewatched it recently. I did as well. The yeah. Summer Holidays, I have done a huge rom-com spree. Like, oh. I've actually, the only one I haven't watched recently is Slippers in Seattle because I'm saving that. But mm. I went through all of them. I loved it. I just want to put in a quick vote for Fire Island, which is a very fun retelling of Pride and Prejudice set among a lot of gorgeous gay boys on Fire Island, the famous sort of queer holiday destination just outside New York. Yeah, I just thought that was a really fresh, really modern approach to that story. Uh, and, you know, I love how it took the the family of the Bennetts and translated it to a found family. Yeah, I, I ended up watching that, I think this time last year, you recommended it and um, I loved it. Oh, so cute. I mean, I, I think we could do a whole episode on just Pride and Prejudice retellings. Mm. Is Fire Island, so is that an actual retelling? Like they intended it to be a retelling? Of, yeah. yeah. I think so, yeah. 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 And I haven't seen this, um, but I really wanted to at the cinema. Anyone but you. You both saw it over the summer. Oh, yes. And I didn't realise it was a retelling. Yeah, a lot of people were saying, because the movie as well popped up on TikTok a lot, that they felt that the marketing really left out how much of a retelling it is. So you don't really notice that until the film. And there's actually little bits in the film where they pay a lot of tribute to much ado about nothing as well. So they're very, very inspired by it. I think they were focusing on Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell's sizzling chemistry. Yeah. Uh, Did the chemistry come across on screen? Because, I mean, it felt like that we were hearing about this movie for a year before it came out because obviously they were filming around Sydney. uh, And so we were getting lots of pap shots from the production, uh, lots of scantily clad. I mean, her body is insane. Um, And, you know. We love Glenn Powell as well. I think, um, yeah, I mean, if you see all the marketing bits where their, yeah, their chemistry is off the charts, it's like nice supporting resource for like what the movie is. I know that Sydney Siders, well, I did get very distracted with um, the liberal use of the location. So where... Was yeah. it a bit cheesy? Uh, it's unrealistic. <laughs> unrealistic. Josh, do you want to give one example? Uh, the first one is the... It's not a spoiler, but the scene opens up. It's very clearly shot in Barangaroo and Wynyard. And I just thought, oh, the whole movie is set in Sydney. That's cool. But then suddenly everyone's speaking in American accents. Mm. And I can't remember where in America it's set. I think it's Boston. But they put a little, like, text on the screen and it's, like, Boston. I'm like, that's not Boston. That's Barangaroo (laughs) and the Sussex Hotel. (laughs) I was kicking myself because then I saw something go viral on TikTok. It was, like, the location setting of of anyone but you – and I was like, damn it, if I'd gotten myself to that Barangaroo Cafe, I could yeah. have gone viral on TikTok and shown people what the setting really was. Part of the movie, it's set in Palm Beach, and then they decide to go hiking, but they hike in the Blue Mountains. Mm. But in the movie, they make it seem like it's like a 15-minute walk from each other. It's not 15 minutes. They're always, like, driving the wrong way yeah. over the Harbour Bridge. Yeah. I mean, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't... Oh, I just remember that, yeah. I think, yeah, if you can get... I mean, I know everyone was like, you can't swim in Sydney Harbour, bull sharks. There's a big scene where they're, like, in Sydney Harbour. In reality, they're filming. They were in shark cages for that. So I think, yeah, if... Me, I, I would be interested to know... I know that obviously it's been massive overseas audiences, uh, but it's interesting watching it from a Sydney perspective where it's filmed in your home city and it's the details you get hung up on, but fun, 
such a fun, fun watch. I think it's cool because it is set in Sydney. So even though it, it was unrealistic in certain locations, it was fun to be like, oh, that's, you know, that's the QVB. That's the, that's this building and this cafe. So, And Josh, I believe we might have seen you on screen. Yeah, if you squint during the <laughs> QVB scene when Glenn Powell's carrying flowers to the wedding, if you squint really, really hard in the far, far, far distance, I'm pretty sure that's me because the day they filmed I was working and I ran out of the store not on a break um, just to get any glimpse of Glenn Powell that I could. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. When they went to pick up the cake, they just quickly <laughs> just drove, and I'm like, you're not going to be picking up the cake. From the city uh, and then back to Palm Beach. And like it was just like nothing. <laughs> no, this, this is a poorly planned wedding. <laughs> it's done really well, though. I it was is. just reading an article um, in, I think, Vulture, and this was more from the US perspective. Like it did not open strong, and I think we've talked a little bit about how the marketing might have done some disservice to the film itself, but it sounds like word of mouth was so strong. It actually grew over like the, the weeks after it was released, which is unusual for a movie. And it's a really funny movie too. Yeah. It's, I was laughing the whole time. A lot of slapstick stuff as yeah. well, which I don't mind in my rom-coms. I don't love to read it as much, but I don't mind it on screen. Yeah, well, I mean, let's hope it means we're going to see more rom-coms on the big screen. More local ones as well. Now and then. (laughs) This will never get old. (laughs) I mean, let us know, dear listeners, in our DMs. This now and then segment, normally we take uh, old text and recast it into modern times and have a chat about what might work and might what might not work. But today I thought we could have a chat about republishing and there's a bit of a debate or conversation around how much of uh, a book or movie do you change um, so that it is more sensitive to the times. Do we have an opinion about that? I've got some examples, but do we have an opinion on keeping the integrity um, of the text versus making sure, yeah, that we're not offending anyone in the now? I think it's a no-brainer. I don't, well, actually, maybe that's controversial, but looking at it in the context of the kind of books that we write, Mm. we're looking at social mores and relationships and that's a landscape that's changing all the time and I think or even in our conversational language and I think if if we are lucky enough to have one of our books being reissued then I would certainly want the opportunity to go through and make sure that that book was going to make people happy to read and and not have anything that's unintentionally offensive in there. Mm. Is there chatter in bookstores about that because I know that there's Mm -hmm. been some popular authors where this has been in the news recently. Yeah, like Roald Dahl, for example. So when I used to work in the children's section, they reissued some of his works and a lot of customers were a bit upset about that actually because I think they really connected with what the work was and they felt like it was changing a lot. But I also agree with Claire where we have to understand that just because something was okay at a certain time doesn't necessarily make it okay now. And I think it is a good thing as well that we're sort of understanding what works, what doesn't, what's offensive and what isn't. So I think it is a very important conversation to have, but it's also a really fine balance of, yeah, 
trying to keep that integrity but also not offend anyone. Mm. I think it's significant to consider who's making those edits as well. Mm. I mean, obviously Roald Dahl couldn't be asked about mm. changes to his work, whereas I know, Karina, you were looking at one of your favourite authors had done a reissue. I don't know if you want to talk about well, that a bit, but when it's your own work, I think you're more than entitled to do that. Yeah, it's actually a book that I haven't revisited for a long time, but it was probably one of the first Chick style books that I read, um, Ralph's Party by Lisa Jewell. And now Lisa Jewell is not really in the Chick space or she hasn't been recently. Um, she's got a very popular book out at the moment called None of This Is True. I've got that on Audible, Plan to Listen. More um, thriller, right? All yeah, right. thriller, yeah. So she moved. So Ralph's Party, I think, I should have checked, but maybe came out like 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I'm not sure. Um, but what struck me about that was I was watching her on her Instagram stories, like edit that book and then come back quite proudly because um, she kind of was like, oh, I'm going to go through this and see like how offensive I was. <laughs> and she only found 14 edits uh, and she was like, wow, I must have been quite progressive <laughs> in the time. So I feel like most books you're revisiting that are that old, you would find more than 14. So I just... I mean, I would love to for her to have shown like what they were. I'm sure if I read the original Ralph's Party, um, I could probably spot them. And another example is um, Vari McFarlane's book, which was we'll talk about in more detail in another app as part of the Summer Swap, the one that um, Claire uh, prescripted me to read. Who's that girl? Yeah, what did I say? Oh, I just I don't know. If you oh, said it. who's that girl? <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> um, that book was published in 2016 yep. and there's already a couple of – and, again, it was it's the sign of our times, but it was really interesting for me, a couple of lines. Um, there's amazing lines in there which I've written down, which we'll talk about when we talk about that book, that I'm sure that she would feel a certain way about now and that's in eight years. Yeah, they just feel – they're a bit clangery when they hit. So it's description, it's obviously a lot of stuff around – Bodies, um, yeah, casual comparison. We all know what it is. And I don't think, like, I wouldn't even notice. I'd have to sit there and compare, like, the two texts. I don't think it adds anything, so it doesn't take away from anything to remove it. Yeah, the reissuing thing is interesting, I think, also from an author's perspective. So I don't know if you guys know Samantha Shannon, who did the uh, – she did a book called Priory of the Orange Tree a couple of years ago that was really popular, but she started with a book called The Bone Season – I think that was released in 2014 and she released an anniversary edition of it this last year and she said she purposefully decided to do that so she could change things in it, Uh, but not necessarily from a um, things were offensive way, but more she wasn't happy with things that happened in that book at the time. So I think that's another interesting thing about reissuing and republishing books. Mm, that's so interesting and I wonder if it's a little bit like the director's cut of movies where sometimes sometimes you don't always have the clearest sense of what makes your story great and I, I imagine sometimes these are authors that um, maybe did not have the same level of power or success when they published these books and they might have had an editor that did a really great job mm. tightening it up and suddenly they're in a situation where they're maybe not being edited so heavily or they have more sway mm. um, 
And they're like, let me at it. Let right. me at it again. <laughs> Are the changes that they're making necessarily for the best? Mm, I think. I think you also wanted to mention Anita Heiss, a friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Anita's, I'm not intimidated, but I, she's so, so impressive. I'd love her to be a friend of the pod. So Claire and I the other week went to see the amazing um, production of Titters um, at Belvoir Street, which was my first introduction really to Anita. I've been meaning to read um, her for a very long time um, and now I definitely want to after that fabulous production. Well, I think we spoke on the pod last year about um, the reissues of her kind of rom-com or they would have been marketed as chick lit at the time that they came out, which I think was early 2000s, a set of four novels that Simon and Schuster reissued last year. With amazing covers. Those covers are great. Yeah. The covers are gorgeous. Yeah. They're a beautiful little Eye-catching, set. Eye-catching, yeah. But I remember hearing uh, Anita speak about them at the Romance Writers Conference last year and she didn't just do a straight reissue and slap a new cover on it. She did some quite heavy rewriting to make sure that these books were addressing current social issues as well as looking at some of those story elements that might have been more problematic from earlier in time. So, uh, yeah, I think she worked like a Black Lives Matter storyline into one of them and obviously technology has changed and had a huge effect on the dating scene that she was talking about in these books. So she had to bring in dating apps and social media and mobile phones. I mean, it would have been a huge job. Mm. But, you know, she didn't take the easy way out. So it's very interesting. If I had a sound effect here that was clapping, I would use that now. (laughs) (laughs) over to you Josh for the intro do you know how it goes <laughs> I was just gonna make it up as I I could take the shelf love and just yeah. run run with it yeah do it uh, so now it's time for shelf love for our favorite summer read <laughs> oh I love it it's the whole sentence normally I go shelf love shelf love shelf love <laughs> So, oh gosh, this was hard to narrow down. We've had a long time to read and a long time between pods. Um, Who wants to go first with their favourite summer reads? Uh, I can go first. Yeah, Uh, I want to hear what you've got. I think the highlight for my read over the summer was Everything I Know About Love by Dolly Alderton. That book, uh, it's completely changed my life and my perspective on oh, things. Wow. Yes. That's like, huge. Yeah. Didn't you try to read it earlier and it didn't really resonate and it you was, came back to it? Yeah. It was originally a DNF, a do not finish for me. I read it at the end of 2022 and I just, I couldn't get past the first 50 pages. And I don't think that's anything to do with Dolly Alderton's writing. I think it was Well, more, it's not. No, <laughs> definitely not. It's it was me. Thing. I was the problem. <laughs> and I was, I think I went into that book thinking it was something else. And then I picked it up again and gave it a chance because there was just too much word of mouth about how good it was. And the way I see things now, not even about romantic love, but just about like friendship and growing up, it's it's changed me. Oh, wow. Interesting that yeah. you followed that quite recently with Guyan Yankovic's new book, which that, is yeah. in a similar vein, right? Yeah, very similar vein. Um, I think that... Um, just Friends. Yeah, I think Just Friends is a little bit more on the... Instructional? Yeah, instructional, um, anecdotally, and a lot of research backed. Not that Dolly Alderton's one has not got research, but that's yeah, I more, think of it's a memoir. more memoir. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's more what, like narrative nonfiction, yeah. right? Yeah, which is taking her life and with learning things from mm-hmm. anecdotes. Yeah, it's like a, it's through like her personal uh, tone that you mm. learn things, whereas Just Friends is more, you know, 
this is what friendship means, but it's so much more than that. It's about love and intimacy and how that doesn't necessarily have to be through romantic love. So yeah, Just Friends was another good summer read as well. That's you, have you watched the screen adaption of yeah, Everything and All About question. Love? Not yet. Yeah. No, You're not saving yet. that? Uh, I wasn't going to because I'm afraid to, but I'll, I'll probably will now that I've really loved the book. Yeah. I think you have to take it as a as a work on its own terms because mm. it's taking that narrative nonfiction of of the book that you love and turning it into a narrative of characters. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I did too. Yeah. Any others um, that yes. stand out? Yes. You recommended Love Just In by Natalie oh, Murray. I did. Um that one was a big favorite um of mine. I just flew through that three days. Um, you were in the Philippines on holidays? I was holidays? in the Philippines, yeah. yeah. So it's a, good, it's a good beach read, but it's got a lot of, like, heart and soul to it. And I don't necessarily love friends to love a second chance romance, but that one did it really well. There was mm. a lot of... Well, that's when you know it's yeah. a good book, when it's a trope that's not your go-to trope. Yeah, there was a lot of um, heartache in that one, and I really liked how sad it was. <laughs> we love to feel. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Great banter in that yeah, as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. Claire? Uh, I've stolen one from your list, which oh, I also love. That's good because I can. We could talk for days. So you take that one, and I'll go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm interested to hear your take on it, but I think we both absolutely loved everyone and everything. Nadine Cohen's book. We talked a little bit about it in the summer reading special, I think, because I was in the process of reading it. Mm, I don't even think it was on my list. I mean, so many crept on my list that were not on my official list. Oh. That's what happens. It's like you're kind of rebelling. <laughs> I think if you're someone who loved sorrow and bliss, which is, let's face it, most of us, you will get a lot out of everyone and everything. I think it looks at grief in a really beautiful way. And I loved the depiction of a relationship between sisters, but even more so, and I think, you know, you see this a, a bit in, in a lot of fiction, but this intergenerational relationship. So the main character, Yale, um, is kind of recovering from a nervous breakdown and starts spending a lot of time at the women's baths in Sydney, the ocean. Did you end up going there this summer? Because I've never been. Can we go together? Yeah, I did. I tried oh. taking my daughter Dot there, but it was... I guess it was high tide and and it was just too rough. Like well, we couldn't even get in the pool because the waves were crashing in. There's a scene in the book, in. like, I mean, I loved her talking to the crabs, yeah. but also like where she does get injured, where she gets smashed against a rock. So, yes. yeah, there you go. Well, Dot is, until very recently, has been very scared of waves. So, yeah, just wasn't having it, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I do hope to get back there again. But, yeah, I think it was Shirley, the older character, Oh, yeah, it was. Beautiful, dynamic, yeah. Mm. Really lovely and it kind of crept up on me because mm. I think... It was so easy to read yeah. but really interestingly structured and I was like, I'm reading literary <laughs> and I can feel it. <laughs> Another one with actually the same kind of intergenerational I, w- I was actually going to say I feel like also Genevieve Novak vibes. I think it was yes. if Meg Mason and Genevieve Novak had a little baby. You're yeah. so right. I know. Well, Genevieve... Uh, did the cover so you'll, endorsement. you'll like it, Josh. I've got a, it's got a good cover as well. Yeah, cover. I think it's one of those ones that's slowly getting word of mouth mm-hmm. and it's getting mm-hmm. the recognition that it absolutely deserves. I'll bump it up mm. uh, my list. Yeah, I think it'll continue to sell well this mm. year as the word of mouth kind of spreads, and I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't factor in on a lot of the prize long mm-hmm. lists. I'll vote for that. Absolutely. Yeah, similarly, I went back to Beth O'Leary's The Switch, which is a really fun story about a woman in her 20s kind of switching places with her grandma and they trade uh, apartments or houses and 
the younger girl, Lena, goes to live in the country in Eileen's house and Eileen moves to the city. Um, I love that book. Yeah, it was cute. It was really good and I think had a beautiful romance arc for an older character, which we don't see so much and was something I'm really interested in, in learning about at the moment. So that was a real fave of mine. Um, I read the work, Bree Lee's fiction debut, which is coming out in a few months and I think it is going to be huge. It was very good and I think – it's begging to be made into a very big budget adaptation. Oh, cool. Yes, damn you, Brie. You're so <laughs> successful. Uh, and I reread Who's That Girl by oh, yes. McFarlane so that we can talk about it yes. at the time. Dot, dot, dot on dot, that. Dot, dot. And your summer reading. Mine, yes. As we know, everyone and everything, I also really appreciated the pop culture references in that. There was lots, Josh. You would love it. The pacey. I mean, the pacey. <laughs> oh, there's Dawson's Creek ones. I'm sold. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, for multiple. That. That's the next one um, I'll read. Oh, that spot was so clever. Mm-hmm. Um, is it set now or is it set? Yeah, set Andrew? now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed reading A Winter in New York, which is Josie Silver's um, book. Obviously, we had come off the back of reading One Day in December as a group. And I realised, I know a lot of people love the tropical summer reads, but I actually like to escape seasons because it makes me feel like I'm holidaying. So when I'm in the cold, I like to read warm. This is a recent realisation. Warm, I love being cold. So um, that was set in New York. have you read this, Josh? No, no, yeah, no. so I could actually picture um, one of the places I stayed in my recent trip in New York. The, the, p- the listeners are well aware that I, we went to New York, Josh. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was only two blocks from when, where the gelato shop, the fictional gelato shop um, in this book was set. So It's all in that beautiful, like, twinkly part of Nolita, right? Yes, and it was so twinkly. I think Josie Silver just has this talent for – I wouldn't – they're probably not comedy, but they're light romances with depth. And I just really, really felt the love story deeply. And also I love my romance with like a really, really strong protagonist arc, like a self-growth one. And so that's what this had as well and the setting of New York. I just I, – I read it in one day and I think it was Boxing Day. Yeah, that's like it's the best, right? You just feel so gluttonous and because it was about gelato as well. It was amazing. To second Everyone and Everything but also Green Dot uh, by Madeline Gray, which was the book of the summer. I really, really enjoyed that. Again, I flew through it, absolutely flew through it. Did you read that in the end, Claire? No, I'm on the I'm on the wait list from the library. Ah, oh, I should lend it to you. It's yeah. really good. I really enjoy that one as well. Especially like you said before about books that have like arcs of characters with a lot of self realization. Yeah. I think she did a really, really good job with that in that book where I really felt it in my chest what this character was going through and the self realizations they had to like be a better person. It was really, really it's done really well. I did. From the beginning, they had me with the realistic workplace setting mm. um, and just that lost. I know like side girl novels mm. now are getting a bit of a bad, like they're being done, but I'm sorry. I just feel like there's a place. There's so many people um, in their 20s, 30s, coming of age stories like would, right. that would feel really seen by that. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a disservice to assume that every novel written by or about a woman in 20s is a sad girl novel. Like mm. It just seems like another way to dismiss mm. women's writing, in my opinion. I absolutely agree. It's just, it's the chick lit of our right. time. Um, and the voice, like, I cackled. Mm. It was, she's so funny. Yeah. Does she do it? Is it in first person? 
narration? I think it's first person. Oh no, it's not first person. It's it's whatever it is. It's very close point of view because you feel like you're you're actually doing. Um, finally, read my first Abby Jimenez. Is that how you say it? So yeah, very popular on Book Talk and just yeah, in Bookster World, um, part of your world, um, and that ended up actually being quite good for me for my research as well. I, I went into it not really knowing what the plot was, but for my current work in progress, it's more of a fish out of water trope, which is what this book is. So it's basically rich city girl, small town guy. Um, they have kind of a meet cute, uh, and then she is slowly like going back to the small town and going to love the small town and and the handsome B&B owner (laughs) in it. I just felt the way that they did the gradual building of the relationship. It was really realistic that they wanted to be part of each other's worlds. And that title is a reference to yeah, the, the Little, Little Mermaid. Yeah, The Little Mermaid. And Claire, yeah, you pointed out, I think all of Abby's books or there's a series where they all are kind of loosely, again, it's not a retelling of these fairy tales, but I think it's like a starting point at least. Um, and I can so see it. I mean, there's no underwater fish love. <laughs> are, there, are there references <laughs> to like Little Mermaid? In I the, think there's lines. Yeah. I mean, part of your world is big one. Do you want to sing it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Out of your world. <laughs> Perfect pairings. There she is. <laughs> Introducing Josh's version. So... I don't know if we've explained this clearly enough earlier. I mean, if you're a friend of the pod, you should be following Josh Hordonella on Instagram. But uh, if you're not already, you're in for a treat because Josh's party trick, his superpower, whatever you want to call it, is finding, taking any piece of culture, usually books, and finding the perfect Taylor Swift song that it links to. He's done it for our books, which is the highest honour, I think, in all of Bookstagram. I certainly take it. Very seriously. It's, it makes me It's so when happy. you feel like the book is officially launched yeah. when, you, when you get your song. <laughs> I see Taylor Swift messages everywhere. So it's. Uh, she's speaking she's to speaking, you. She's speaking, yeah, yeah. If not in the DMs, <laughs> then. <laughs> so for perfect pairings today, Josh is going to take it away and link some books with Taylor Swift songs. Are you starting with the song or the book? I'll start with the song, and because it's perfect, perfect parents. I've decided to do Australian books as well to keep. Oh, that's lovely. On trend, we didn't want with... to specify that, but we know that you're <laughs> such a huge advocate for Australian books. Um, so the first one I've got is the song "Antihero," which is from Midnight's. I've linked that up with "Crushing" by Genevieve Novak because that character is a bit of a mess and is sort of semi-aware of it, but they also aren't necessarily doing too many things to fix it straight away, which is why I felt like that song was playing in my head the entire time I was reading that book. Is that what happens to you? You get like a soundtrack to the words? Yes, yes. Or do you have to stop and think about it or it just will come to you? I think it just comes to me and then I listen to that song or that album while I'm reading the book. So I always have to be listening to things while reading because it really immerses me in the book as well. Gosh, I could never yeah. do that. No one likes it. writes a hot mess like yeah. Genevieve Novak. <laughs> that's that's a very good one. And it's done really well where the character isn't annoying but you feel like what they're actually going tr- through and you can understand why they're acting the way they are. So that's a really good song for that book. The next one I've got is the song Cruel Summer 
just from the album Lover. And that song was like pairs really well with Love and Other Scores by Abra Presler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's just about this like whirlwind summer romance that they've, you know, it's hot and heavy straight away, but they've also got to keep it a little bit secret. Um, I think the line that really spoke to me from the song was um, when she's like sneaking in through the garden gate and that just like I pictured the characters from that book doing everything in Cruel Summer. And that book is also set during like the Australian Open during summer and she has a really good sense of place in writing in that book. So you really feel that sort of like sizzling tension and chemistry. So that's Cruel Summer is good for that book. Love it. That book. Have you read it yet? No, it's it's definitely coming in the next couple of weeks. We've got to get her up to do an event in Sydney. I really want to meet her. Yeah, I think she said she'd come. We'll uh, get her in this studio on the, the next, sound. Um, one is Timeless, uh, which is a vault track from Speak Now, Taylor's version. And that song reminded me of a book that came out last year called At the Foot of the Cherry Tree by Ali Parker because it was just about sort of like sweeping love stories throughout time and how love can sort of prolong throughout time. And at the foot of the cherry cherry th- tree is... And about, it's hard to yeah, say that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tongue twister. It's sort of about, you know, love in the face of um, adversary. Adversity, yeah. Adversity. So that's why that song reminded me of that, because it was about, you know, how love can sort of conquer all. I love that. And then for one final one, it's another one from Speak Now. It's Never Grow Up. And I picked Perfectish by... Jessica Seaborn, because that book, um, the main character in that book, just reminded me of how that song is sort of, you know, romanticizing things from the past because when we grow up, things, you know, change and sometimes we have trouble dealing with that change and how things aren't as, you know, rosy as they were when we were kids. I felt like that was a good pairing for that one. You're so talented at this. <laughs> so beautiful. And I love that they're all books that we've mentioned on the mm. podcast in the past. So hopefully some of our readers, our listeners have had a chance to read them. Can I can I throw a curveball your way? Mm-hmm. So you're an emerging rom-com writer. Mm-hmm. What is your song? Song? The song I would pick for mine would be Wildest Dreams. Oh. Yeah. Watch this space. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask what your era is, Josh, or what era you're currently in. You both are going to the eras. I'm not. You're no, not. I no, you I didn't get tickets. No, unless I'm sneaking in. Josh's was it a bag. Sc- was it a scam? Did you get scammed? <laughs> I've literally considered going and just like sitting outside the stadium and seeing what I can hear. I think there's going to be so many people that drop out last minute because they just can't make it anymore. COVID? Or, yeah, or they'll open up like an extra spot. That stadium's so huge. Mm. Truly there's an extra spot somewhere to sit. Mm. I said so one of my sister's friends has tickets to like multiple. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this, Josh, <laughs> because I'm like, they better like yeah. Post one night, don't post yeah, all Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh, I can just imagine the mob. Yeah, <laughs> but I feel like I'm like in my life, what era I'm in, I think 1989. Um, is the one I'm in because... Like 10 yeah. years before you were born? 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Nine. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but I feel like that's the vibe I'm feeling for life right now from both work and personal life. So, yeah. What about you, Karina? I'm always in my folklore era because um, that's my writing music. I actually tried to change it up recently and I don't write as well. There's something magic in mm-hmm. folklore. folklore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have to say I've gone. Yeah. I've dipped back into folklore and Evermore this week because they are mm. so good. For they writing. are. I randomly, not even in our circle, I saw mm. someone else post it, and I was like, 
does she know what she's put in this? Well, yeah, because yeah, the people I speak to who aren't necessarily Taylor Swift fans, if they had to pick an album they really like, if it's not 1989, it's usually one of those mm. two. And I think it's a testament to the writing in those albums because you really look at the lyrics there. Mm. They're really, really good. And, and I like narrative with characters in yeah. a way that she hadn't done mm. before that. I will say um, You Are In Love is a real touchstone mm. for the book that I'm writing oh. at the moment. Uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> It's the end of the show, guys. <laughs> we will link to all the books and movies we mention in the show notes. Sign up to our Substack, and we're doing that this season, Claire, to get the lowdown straight to your inbox um, when we drop a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at that romcom pod, and feel free to DM us all the things that you're interested in hearing about. We have a fun season planned so far, but there's definitely room for your suggestions. Yeah, we'll be doing a couple more interviews. I hope, and um, we'll have a few that are just us two. But before we go, Josh, where can people find your work or follow you? Um, they can find me on Instagram. It's just Josh Hortonella on there. So, or come into the store. Come into the store, and I'll <laughs> which I regularly uh, do. I'll, yeah. I'll pair I'll him. pair you a book with a Taylor Swift song. That's the I'm like a like I'm like a bartender, but for books and Taylor Swift. But thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we couldn't have started me. the season a better way with the rom com Oracle himself. Thank you for having me. It's been very, very fun. Thanks, Josh, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.